the Batman Universe Podcast, your source for all the latest Batman news related to movies, television, merchandise, and video games. Thanks for making the Batman Universe your ultimate source for Batman news. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Podcast, episode number 80. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Melinda. And this is John. And we are bringing the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, and general news from the month of September. Our discussion for this episode will be Batman The Dark Knight Returns, Part 1. And without further ado, let's just get right into news. different things to report. Most of the news from the month of September related to movie news had to do with Batman the Dark Knight Returns Part 1. So there's a number of different interviews that are on the website that you can check out, including David Selby, who voiced uh, Commissioner Gordon. There's an interview with Ariel Winter, who voiced Robin, Carrie Kelly. There's also a number of screenshots and videos that you can check out, too. If you've been following us on YouTube, you've probably already seen a lot of these videos. If not, head over to the website and check those out as well. Other Batman Dark Knight Returns Part 1 slash Part 2 news is that on September 4th, TV Guide announced that Michael Emerson will actually be voicing the Joker in Batman the Dark Knight Returns Part 2. The Joker does appear in Part 1 very, very briefly, and it's honestly, I don't know for sure that Michael Emerson was actually the voice, or if that was just because it was so brief if they had someone just do a voice or not. We'll have to find out and wait and see. But for the most part, Emerson said, he's one of those great villains that an actor like me likes to play because he has layers. He has a face for the world and a face for himself. He is, in a way, a villain who is a natural actor. All of that is delightful and confounding at the same time. So as we know, the uh, the second part, which will feature Michael Emerson as the Joker, will actually hit in early 2013. That's a piece of news I'm excited about. I love Michael Emerson on Lost. I think that he has a very chilling voice when he wants to, and I think that is something that the Joker really needs to have. I liked John DiMaggio, but I'm not overly attached to one actor playing the Joker, so I really want to see what Michael Emerson can do to see if he can bring that chilling quality to the Joker. Alright, and then the other bit of news we have, the Los Angeles premiere of Batman the Dark Knight Returns Part 1 was the day before the movie actually released, and our staff member Tim Geraci, who you've probably heard on the Bat Fans podcast, he actually attended the premiere on behalf of the Batman Universe and got a number of interviews. Those are also on our YouTube page. They're also on the website. We have pretty much interviews with almost everybody involved. Ben Goodman, Andrea Romano, Jay Olivia, Bruce Tim, 
Peter Weller and Ariel Winter are all on there for you guys to check out. So definitely check those out as well. So then moving along to the other movie news we have related to The Dark Knight Rises, it was announced on September 27th that The Dark Knight Rises will be released on December 4th, Blu-ray and DVD. The uh, Blu-ray version of the film will include the Batmobile documentary, which we heard about right around Comic-Con. There will also be a feature called Ending the Night, which is a comprehensive look into how director Christopher Nolan and his production team made The Dark Knight Rises, and it includes, I I believe the number is 18 or 19 different features involving specific elements of the film, specifically like production, the prologue, the Batcave, the Bat, Batman vs. Bane, so all these different versions. The DVD version of the film will have one of those features called The Journey of Bruce Wayne, and will also have an ultraviolet download available with it as well. In addition to that, right at the end of the month, uh, the cover art for not only the DVD and the Blu-ray were released, but also the Dark Knight Trilogy pack, which will include, obviously, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. This will also release the same time. One other little bit of news that Warner Brothers let out of the bag was when they announced the release date of The Dark Knight Rises, they actually stated that they have a Ultimate Trilogy Edition coming out, and it says Warner Brothers Home Entertainment also plans to release the Dark Knight Trilogy Ultimate Collector's Edition in 2013. So it's unknown exactly when that'll come out. I would expect it to come out late 2013 based off of sense for them to release that around the holidays. But then the other thing is there's already retailer exclusives that have been revealed, including at Target and Best Buy. Target is going to have the Blu-ray Digibooks, one with Bane on the cover, one with Batman on the cover. And then Best Buy will have a Steelbook case. And in the Steelbook case, there will actually be a specific, a new documentary called The Dark Knight Reborn. We have the trailer posted on the website for that documentary, but it basically it talks about how Chris Nolan took Batman and changed it to be what it is. So you can check those out on the website. Honestly, the Dark Knight Reborn trailer looks pretty cool. I don't know how we missed it because it actually released somehow before the actual Dark Knight Rises released. I would assume we were all too busy looking forward to that July 19th midnight showtime. The Dark Knight Trilogy Ultimate Collector's Edition, I'm happy that they have... I mean, they've put out some, I don't want to say bare-bones special editions, but not overly jam-packed special editions. So I know that a lot of people have been waiting for something like this to come out. So I, I hope that it's got what people have been waiting for and it doesn't just recycle the same special features that they show on everything else. I agree with Melinda. Ultimate edition kind of gets banded around quite a lot, and then you buy it, and it's got one DVD extra, and you think, well, it's not really an ultimate collection. So hopefully this will be all of them, and it will be jam-packed with all the featurettes and things like that, and hopefully it will be a a, a nice Blu-ray edition comes out as well which would be even better and then one last bit of news um, while you're listening to this New York Comic Con will actually be taking place in New York and Warner Brothers Home Entertainment will actually be featuring some of the footage from Batman the Dark Knight Returns Part 2 so um, definitely be sure to check out the website during New York Comic Con for coverage Steve J. Rogers from the website will be in attendance at New York Comic Con 
to get news from that convention, including covering this panel and interviewing some of the creators involved with this as well. So besides that, let's move right along and get into TV news. I smell a rat. You smell the Mad Hatter in Marbo's disguise. He gave himself away with that remark about my statue's head. That was the first part he finished, and he was very pleased with it. Well, heck, you're not just going to hand him your cowl, are you? Of course not, Robin. I want to find the real Octave Marbo. Holy switcheroo, I should have known. Someone's moaning. No doubt our man. As far as TV news goes, Young Justice has come back, as we talked about in the last episode. But before we talk about that, real quick, the Robot Chicken DC Comics special has actually aired. I had a chance to watch it. I thought it was pretty amusing. I wish it was a little bit longer than a half hour. Honestly, I think they could have done a whole lot more. But for the time that they did have, I think they did a pretty decent job. I think if it had been longer than half an hour, I think I would have got bored. But some of the sketches were... Very, very funny, especially Aquaman, who's rather picked on in all of the scenes. Yeah, I think my favorite one was as Batman was just walking around, Bane would randomly walk up to Batman and break his back. Didn't matter if there was a ton of other people around him, Bane would just pick him up and break his back. And then there was one where it happens right in the Hall of Justice, and Batman just looks at all the other heroes and is like, Seriously, come on, you're right there. You have powers! Come on! So I thought that was pretty amazing. So besides that, uh, we've got Young Justice back, as I said. Before we talk about the actual episode that aired in September, I want to read an interview that was done on September 26th over at Comic Resources. This is a very, very long interview, but it talks a lot about some of the really cool details of Young Justice and the things that are coming up. So for this interview, I'll read for Comic Book Resources... And Melinda will read for Greg Wiseman. Greg, I want to start by talking a little bit about the transition from year one to year two. Like any show you've ever run, there are a lot of moving pieces in Young Justice, and the viewer may not see all of those until the very end. With the season one finale, we had a bunch of revelations hit in terms of who Roy Harper was, what Vandal Savage's plan was, and how the team has finally come together. But at the same time, you opened up a whole new mystery in terms of the brainwashed Justice Leaguers missing hours. When you plotted out Season 1, did you know where you were heading to this whole invasion plotline? Or did the pickup for Season 2 enable you to build that new mystery into the finale and carry the characters five years into the future? We have the two-year game plan pretty much from day one. I'm not saying I knew every single detail of Season 2 back when we were breaking Season 1, because we didn't. But the big thrust of it we had. We knew exactly where we were going and what seeds we wanted to plant in Season 1 to get there. We knew we were going to do the time skip and all that stuff almost from the very beginning, certainly before even one episode of the show had aired. Now, we didn't get a pickup right away, and we had no guarantee that we would get that. But once we got a pickup of the first ten episodes for Season 2, and soon after another ten, that was great. Though I wouldn't have said no to a hundred. We didn't sit down and break down Season 2 episodically until we got that pickup. But in terms of the arc of the season and the main ideas we'd be dressing, we had it all figured out in advance. Once the invasion season got underway, you had a bunch of new ideas and new puzzle pieces in play right from the start. But I've got to say, Episode 7 was such a crucial installment in terms of putting a lot of the story together. And then you went on a break. 
ha, ha. It was not planned that way. I mean, from our standpoint, we didn't know that Cartoon Network was going to break after 7. But I've got to say, it was a great place to break. If you're going to take a hiatus, Episode 7 was a really great place to cliffhang. We were actually kind of pleased about that. It was timed out well. What really stood out to me when we learned that Aqualad is a double agent and that Artemis and Kid Flash were being drawn back into the fold was that no matter how many new cast members you've added in Season 2, there, and there have been quite a few, it seems like the big story for the show as a whole is still the story of the group of Nightwing, Aqualad, Artemis, Superboy, Miss Martian, and Kid Flash. What kind of goals did you make for the show in terms of those you'd follow the most? I think for us, from day one, we have six leads, and that's huge enough. Now, there are other characters, even from season one, who will be recurring characters that we put a spotlight on and give some screen time. Those are characters like Red Arrow and Zatanna, even Captain Marvel and Red Tornado. I don't want to knock them and say that they're tertiary characters. They're not. They're important to our larger tapestry. But I think it was important from day one, all the way through the end of season two, that we have six leads. And they've been the same six leads from the beginning. It all began with Robin, Aqualad, and Kid Flash. Of course, Robin is now Nightwing. But after that first three, we added in Superboy, and then we added in Miss Martian, and then we added in Artemis, and then we stopped. We kept adding characters, but I don't think we kept adding lead characters. We sold the show on those six, and those six are still to us largely the focus of the show. Now, you're right that we've expanded a lot in season two. We've added Wonder Girl, Batgirl, Blue Beetle, Beast Boy, Lagoon Boy, The New Robin, Impulse, and we're not done adding characters. Some of them will get a spotlight shown on them briefly. Some of them will get a larger role than, than even that. It will range. But we haven't lost track of our six leads. They've always been the six leads for the show, and that will continue throughout the rest of the series. All right, so that's the end of that interview. Ultimately, Greg Wiseman, he's a man with a plan, which I appreciate because... There's been shows who you don't really feel as if there's a plan. It's just the plan is to make episodes that can air that have nothing to do with each other. And that's very similar to what Batman Brave and the Bold was. Now, I'm not saying that James Tucker and Michael Jelinek, the producers for Batman Brave and the Bold, didn't have a plan. But there was it was not a very episodic show where things carry, you know, events that happen in this episode carry over into the next episode. It wasn't like that at all. With Young Justice, we go back to the formula of what we, we've known from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, where very specific elements carry over and lead to an overarching story of all of the episodes. So Greg Wiseman and Brandon Vietti, the other producer, they've done a very good job of making sure that people who are our age who watch the show are still very interested in what's going on, even though we have these giant hiatuses. Yeah, this show has really done a wonderful job of taking the serial format and making making sure everything ties into each other, that nothing is done without a purpose and nothing really appears without a purpose. There, There's still stuff that they're calling back from season one and se- like earlier in season two. And I have to agree with Greg Weissman, if you had to take a break in season two, seven was the right place to do it because you really want to know what happens with that reveal. You really want to know what changes that's going to have on the group dynamics, and that brings the audience back. You know, everybody rails on cliffhangers all the time, but they're used effectively. They're great. They're done for a reason. Yeah, the the cliffhanger at the end of episode seven really left me wanting more i think it's the series that as well not just that they've got an overarching storyline but they've got characters that you care about and that you 
are attached to, and that builds through the, the the entire of season one and season two. And I I think they plan that really well because you've kind of seen these characters grow up, and and you've got that attachment there that makes you want to keep coming back and, and make these shock revelations so exciting. And then the interview was actually done right before the new episode aired. The episode eight aired September. 29th episode was called Satisfaction, and the synopsis for it was that Roy Harper seeks vengeance against the man who ruined his life. So let's talk about that episode. So Roy Harper, who we know was discovered, the real Roy Harper was discovered in episode 7, right before the hiatus. He's back, he's missing his arm, and he's going to go after Lex Luthor because Lex Luthor was the one who locked him up and cloned him. Well, I've got a huge soft spot for flawed heroes, and in particular for Roy Harper. Uh, In my audition tape, I even said he is my favorite character who is not in the Batman universe. But in this, his confrontation with Green Arrow and, you know, replacement Roy Harper, he, he sits there and he absolves Roy Harper, but then he turns to Green Arrow and says, you didn't look for me, you should have noticed, and you didn't, and you're terrible, and this, that, and the other thing... The underlying thing being, you're bad. And with what we're shown of Green Arrow's characterization and so many things, it would have been so easy for him to say, yeah, I am, that's nice, and walk away from it. But he goes and he looks for real Roy and tries his best to rescue him, and I really like that. I like that they chose to include that rather than some of the other characterizations of Green Arrow. I think it was good as well because it showed the effects as well of rediscovering Roy Harper not just on Green Arrow but also on clone Roy Harper and and sometimes things can be very focused on one thing but it, it was a very uh, rounded episode and very emotional and everybody was affected by this and you saw how it affected them in different ways and the the original Roy Harper felt that he was alone but you know in the end his the two people he can trust do come through for him. And I think that really furthers his character as well and, and makes him, you know, much more interesting going on forward and how he's going to deal with it and how it's going to affect his relationship with everyone else, which is ultimately something we've not entirely seen, but it, I think it will make upcoming episodes a lot more interesting. And then the big reveal at the end of the episode was we already know that there's a red arrow, which is the clone Roy Harper, but instead of sticking with his speedy persona, the real Roy Harper decides he's going to take up the mantle of the role of Arsenal, which is another nod back to the comics, as Speedy has become not only Red Arrow, but also, at a point, he was also Arsenal, too. So, I mean, they they keep playing off of what we know from the comics, but twisting it in a way where it works with the show, which still doesn't really affect anything because this does take place on on a different Earth, which, you know, a lot of people say, well, that you've changed the persona and the personality of these characters so much. But the reality is that using that, while this takes place on Earth-16 compared to the, the Earth that the normal DC Universe takes place on, it's the easy answer for it. It's the easy answer for why they have changes and why they, they've done what they've done. And I think it's really cool. No, I definitely agree. And I liked, I really liked how the name Arsenal was put into Roy's head in this episode. I liked that Lex explained to him, it's not just the guns that you carry, it's your intelligence, it's 
every skill that you bring to the table, that's your arsenal. And so it, it tells him that he's more than just the weapons he carries. I think, picking up on Dustin's point, that's part of it, you know, young just, why Young Justice is so good, because it's got nods to the comics that adult fans will know, and, and that makes it, you know, accessible for everyone. And it was the same reason that Batman the Animated Series was, was quite successful, because there was nods to the comics that, that adults knew. Anyway, so new episodes of Young Justice are set to air throughout the entire month of October, so make sure you keep checking out the website for uh, the news related to the actual show. But in addition to that, all of the screenshots and videos that we mostly post up almost every Thursday is generally when we get them, um, the Thursday before they actually air. So then also follow us on YouTube for those videos as well. There's a lot of people who, as soon as we post up those videos, they're notified on Twitter and YouTube, and they automatically watch them and see them and comment on them right away, which is really cool to see so many people commenting on the videos. All right, so with that, let's get into our next bit of news, merchandise news. Perishing planets. What's the matter, Batman? It's rush hour in Gotham City, and the Batmobile is big. You mean, yes, Robin, the Metro. Not a ton of merchandise news to really go over. Uh, the, the few things we've got is on September 14th, Hot Wheels revealed that they have a new Batmobile as part of their 2013 Imagination Mix, which is a Batmobile that is based off of Batman Live. So if you've seen Batman Live, or you're going to be seeing Batman Live, you'll actually be able to check out this actual image of the Batmobile that Hot Wheels will be releasing based off the Batmobile that appears in that show. And that's pretty cool. On September 17th, DC Collectibles announced their lineup of items that are going to be releasing in January of 2013. Out of the items, they include a Harley Quinn Arkham, Batman Arkham City statue, a Batman Black and White statue by Frank Miller, this is a second edition, the Batman The Dark Knight Returns action figure pack, which includes Joker, Batman, Carrie Kelly, and Superman. And finally, the DC Comics supervillains line, The Joker Bust. So you can check all those pictures out and some of the prices for those items out on the website as well. On September 20th, the source announced that they have some exclusives that will be at New York Comic Con. One of the exclusives is another Green Lantern action figure pack, but the other one that was interesting for the Batman universe was they're actually going to be releasing an action figure based off the Ardman animation Batman from the world's funniest DC Nation short. Um, so you can check out the picture online. Quite honestly, I'd, I'd want to get this. I'm not going to be going to New York Comic Con, but this is definitely something I'd want to add to my collection just because I really like Ardman animation, and I think what they've, what they've done with the DC Nation shorts is really amusing, so I'd love to have this figure in my collection as well. September 21st, PPW announced that they have two more DC-themed characters that are going to be appearing uh, with Mr. Potato Head. The first one is a Joker Mr. Potato Head, and the next one is a classic Batman Mr. Potato Head. This would be Batman in his blue cowl. Those will soon be available, we, we assume, before the holiday season, but an actual release date has not been released. They are available online for pre-order, so you can check those out as well. The Joker one definitely looks like the Joker. You can, you can almost barely tell that it's a Mr. Potato Head. See, now those I will be getting, I will say they are for my second cousins. They're for me. 
They are honestly going to be mine. September 25th, Hot Wheels announced another Batmobile that they'll be releasing. They announced a 143rd Elite Batmobile based off the 1989 Batman film. This is an extremely detailed Batmobile that will come in a special, specific box. In order to, to get this, you can't just buy this at any toy store. You actually have to find one of the uh, specialty distributors and collector shops that will actually carry it. But you can find a, a list of those through a link that is on the website. This is extremely, extremely detailed. This is something that I would also consider adding to my collection as well. And finally, the last bit of merchandise news we have comes on September 26th. Mediacom revealed that they will have an exclusive at this year's New York Comic Con. Back in July, they released uh, an exclusive for Comic Con International, but this time around, the bear brick that they will be releasing will be based off of Frank Miller's Joker from The Dark Knight Returns. They also announced through a video that they are also planning on releasing a Robin and Cyborg from the Teen Titans from the 1980s. You can check out the video and some of the images from that also online. Looking at the pictures, I'm not sure how much I like the bare bricks, and I'm really not a fan of the facial expression that the Joker one has. You agree. The Joker one is, is very, very creepy looking. They're kind of like the... Um, Totobakia? Totobakia one. That, that, they have that same kind of quite scary look about them, and it's a bit unnerving. For the Batmobile one, that looks absolutely amazing, and I'm devastated that no stores are carrying it near me, so I might have to fly to America to get it. It looks absolutely fantastic. It's a good thing you know people in America, so you don't actually have to fly to America. That's true. So that is all of our merchandise news. Let's get into video game news. Had you ever considered that all this is your fault? Your presence creates these animals. Uh, not a whole lot of video game news that was released. Most of it has to do with Injustice Gods Among Us. But quickly, before we get to Injustice Gods Among Us, we're going to talk about Batman Arkham City. It was announced on September 13th, the Batman Arkham City Armored Edition for the Wii U will actually release this holiday season, which we kind of already knew. You can see the entire press release and some of the screenshots from the game actually on the uh, website. Now, the Wii U is scheduled to come out November 18th, and Batman Arkham City is set to be released before the holiday season as well, but it is not necessarily releasing that same day that the Wii U is releasing. I'm not real sure why. Nintendo made a very big deal about uh, all of these games that are being released the same time the, the actual system is launching. But all these games that they made a very big deal about, none of them really seem to be coming out exactly the same day. So you'll have to wait and see as far as when that'll come out if you have a Wii and have been unable to play the Batman Arkham City. So you'll have to wait and see exactly. Just be sure to keep checking out the website for release date for the actual Wii U version of Batman Arkham City. As far as Injustice Gods Among Us, on September 3rd, PAX Prime was the past weekend and... IGN was there and covered convention, but in addition, they specifically have a bunch of different commentaries with some of the developers. There's a developer walkthrough with Flash vs. Harley Quinn, there's one with Nightwing vs. Cyborg, and Harley Quinn vs. Grundy. You can take a look at those on the website as well. It was announced on September 20th that 
Injustice Gods Among Us is actually scheduled for release in April of 2013. No specific day was released. Video games mostly come out on Tuesday, so that only gives you four different days that it could possibly come out in April. The other interesting news that was released in relation to this was they had, there was a new trailer that for Injustice Gods Among Us showing off some of the voices of the characters, and at this point has been confirmed that Kevin Conroy will be voicing Batman in this video game. So, looking at the screenshots, Wonder Woman to me just looks absolutely terrifying. I, I am very frightened of her, but I think that's exciting that they have got Kevin Conroy back for that because I know that he's a Batman voice that you know the majority of fans of the animated medium are very attached to. So, I think that's quite a coup. Good for them. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does. Considering my my thoughts on the game are essentially that it's based in that it's featured in Justice League. Oh, what was it called? The one where it's that parallel universe and they're all evil. Crisis on Duet. I think it's going to be based off that, and it'll be interesting to see how that they all feature sort of a, a darker side to them, and, and for Batman, I'm assuming that's the more evil side, and it'll be interesting to see how he he pulls that off, considering what we've seen of him, and how Batman's being portrayed when he's done all the voice acting before. And then on September 26th, Warner Brothers revealed the Collector's Edition for Injustice Gods Among Us. Included in the Collector's Edition will a DC collectible statue featuring Batman and Wonder Woman, the Fortress of Solitude, and the Last Son of Krypton's Escape Ship. That you will stand at over 13 inches tall. The Special Collector's Edition will also include a brand new DC comic series, which at this point hasn't been announced, but we can assume will be similar to what they did with DC Universe Online, but this time being Injustice Gods Among Us. There will be a digital download of DC Universe and animated film Justice League Doom, and three exclusive skins based on Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman from DC Comics The New 52. So they're already doing some of the skins, so this is very similar to some of the things that they did for the Collector's Edition for Batman Arkham City. When it released, Batman Arkham City had a statue included as well. It had a digital copy of Batman Gotham Knight, and it had some skins. So it's very similar. I have actually seen the packaging for it, and it almost looks exactly the same as the packaging for Batman Arkham City Collector's Edition, other than it's just taller because the statue's actually taller. But this was also, even though I'm kind of, I'm still kind of iffy as far as the storyline for the game, I'll still end up getting the Collector's Edition of this game and adding this statue to my collection. I agree with that decision wholeheartedly. I'm just looking at them, and they're wonderfully detailed. I think that this almost, even if you we're not a huge fan of the game, this would almost be worth it just on its own. It's nice to see that they're, you know, collector's editions are being packed with with good stuff, and it's nice that they're putting statues out as well, especially for them. It makes them much more interesting and, and much more desirable, especially for us poor collectors who have to have most of the stuff. So that is all the video game news. We still haven't heard anything more about Young Justice Legacy. Hopefully we'll be hearing something about that within the next month. Maybe we'll hear something as it comes as news comes out of New York Comic Con. But let's move into general news. What do you want to kill me?
I, you, you, you mind uh, saying that one more time? Why do you want to kill me? What? What? Um. Why do you want to kill me? I said, why do you want to kill me? Very small amount of news to go over in general news. On September 3rd, Gary from the Batfans podcast also writes articles on the Batman universe. Posted up an article about his wrap-up of Dragon Con. I won't go into details, but you should definitely check out uh, some of the pictures from some of the cosplayers that he saw at Dragon Con. There's some really good ones there. The other thing we've got is on September 28th, Batman Live has actually sent us over an exclusive video that reveals Robin in Batman Live. Batman Live has already begun its tour within North America, so make sure you're checking out their website, which you can find a link on our website for updates about the show and schedule as it comes to your area, slowly making its way around the country, and uh, it'll be hitting Canada and Mexico as well, so make sure you are checking out the website for show dates as they they add them. At this point, I think they have show dates just past Christmas, I believe, and they're going through the Midwest and all over the place, so just be sure to check it out and don't miss it once it comes to your neighborhood. Yes, everybody get your tickets for that so that it can keep touring and keep touring to more places. Everybody deserves to see it. So that is all of our general news. As far as listener responses go, we have one from Alex. He says, this is relating to the last episode. He said, I'm listening to the podcast right now and had to comment before I forget. I, too, really like the Incredible Hulk movie. I personally didn't care for Hulk and the Avengers, except for that great scene when Hulk was smashing Loki. His character didn't even make sense with how he goes from being on a rampage, destroying everything, to only hitting the bad guys. Then again, I didn't care for the Avengers. I felt like it was a high-budget, shallow action movie. Well, I agree. I, too, also felt like it was a high-budget action movie. I, I, Hulk was the best part about that, which we talked about in the last episode, but I wanted to agree with that. All right, I get it, Alex. I get it. I am the, I'm the minority opinion here. I did not like the other Hulk movies, and I'm f- perfectly fine with saying that. I liked the Avengers, but I also... Liked it because it was shallow, high-budget entertainment. I'm going to defend the Avengers film. I don't think it's as shallow as people think. I think Josh Whedon does a good job of balancing all the characters that he had and to tenuously tie it into the DC universe. I think that that what they produce is pretty much what we could expect from a, a Justice League movie, to be honest. You know, you got to balance big characters, but it's good to hear another Hulk fan out there. All right, so that is all of our listener Q&As. If you are interested in having a question answered on the next episode or you have a comment that you'd like to share, be sure to head over to the website and leave a response under the actual episode 80 under the Batman Universe podcast, or you can shoot us an email at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any questions, comments, or concerns. Alright, so let's get into our discussion for this episode, which is Batman the Dark Knight Returns, Part 1. Tonight marks the 10th anniversary of the last sighting of the Batman. All units, robbery in progress, Gotham City Trust. They call us a gang. Only when they die by our hands will they know Gotham City belongs to the Mutants! Is that? Batman! Come out here and face me like a man! 
Terry Kelly. Robin. She's smart. Brave. She's perfect. These are scary times, Bruce. It's just random violence. The war goes on. I will tear him limb from limb! He's in his prime. He'll kill you. I will show you who rules Gotham City! I'm not finished yet. young he'll walk again this release the end of september we've all watched it our commentary for this will actually be hitting the batman universe commentaries within the next couple months but, uh, in the meantime let's talk about the movie itself i overall thought it was a really good movie i honestly would put this up there at the top of my animation uh batman films list I still will hold Batman Beyond Return of the Joker as my top Batman film, but I think this movie actually dethroned Batman Mask of the Phantasm as my number two. I thought this movie overall was very good, and not only was it very, very true to the comics, but I also felt as if it was a very entertaining movie, and I think they broke because they broke it into two parts, it worked out well, but I think a lot of that had to do with the way the actual original comic miniseries was structured as well. I went into this movie with zero expectations because I was not a fan of year one. I was so very pleasantly surprised by it. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I would put it probably at my number two, but my number one would be Under the Red Hood, and I, I did the same thing. I kind of followed along with the comic, and, you know, I really enjoyed what they chose to keep in there, and I enjoyed what they chose to emphasize. I don't think necessarily it's a movie for very young children, but this is not a comic for very young children. I'm going to be the dissenting voice again and probably get abuse for it, but I thought it was all right. It's not amazing. I'd put it sort of mid-table. It's not terrible either. They seem to have learned a lot of the mistakes that they made with Batman Year One. Uh, it doesn't follow the storyline closely, but I I think there are a lot of problems that, to be honest, I, I can't really get over and, and are stuff that I'll get into as the conversation goes on. But John, what is your favorite animated film so people know? It's probably a toss-up between Mask of the Phantasm and Under the Red Hood. Let's first talk about the, the cast for the actual film. We had Peter Weller as Batman, Ariel Winter as Carrie Kelly, Wade Williams played Two-Face, Harvey Dent, we had David Selby as Commissioner Gordon. I thought overall the cast was pretty spot on. I think they, they did a pretty decent job. The Carrie Kelly was probably the most believable one. thought that was very well cast. Ariel Winter did a really good job. I thought Peter Weller did a really good job as well. Everybody did a really good job, in my opinion, but I think I think Ariel Winter was the standout as far as uh, all of the voice cast goes, but Peter Weller was probably a very close second. I, I will be a dissenting voice here, I think. I didn't like David Selby as Commissioner Gordon. I, I don't know if it was just that's not the voice I'm used to or that's not the voice I personally hear in my head, but I just, he was not my favorite. I loved Paget Brewster as Lana Lang, 
Ariel Winter as Carrie Kelly, I think was, like you said, kind of the breakout and the standout star in this. But Peter Weller as Batman, he he lent that age and that gruff to the voice that we really needed to make the Dark Knight Returns believable because he is, he's supposed to be this old man. And, and I think he brought that very well. I don't think either Ariel Winter or Peter Weller, he was Batman, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Did a, a very good job at all. And this is part of my, these, these, this is the basic main problem. Um, Peter Weller just didn't, he didn't sound bored like Ben McKenzie did in year one, but I didn't really feel there was any kind of emotion there. He kind of warmed up a little bit as the, the movie went on, but I didn't feel like this was you know, an old Bruce Wayne, a kind of um, someone struggling with retirement, which is, is what I kind of feel from reading the comic and things like that. I just didn't feel that he did... He emoted any of that stuff to make me believe and feel that that's what he was portraying. And my problem with Ariel Winter is, although I know she's 15, she didn't sound 15, she sounded a lot older. And I I just didn't feel like I believed that that she was 15 at all. And I, I mean, I don't... I just felt the lines that she was delivering made her sound a lot older than how she was supposed to be and I ceased to to really believe it and that just distanced me from the character and I I just didn't get anything from her I I didn't really care about her to be honest and she just came across as annoying after a while 15 at all I think the best out of all of them was was Commissioner Gordon and I felt he portrayed someone who was retiring but didn't really want to retire but was still ahead of the game and, and, and sort of beaten down by everything that he saw. And I felt he was the most interesting character out of all of them. Right, so then let's talk about the story now. As far as the story goes, let's let's compare the original comic series to the film and talk about some of the differences or some of the things that they did to make it work for film. So one of the things I really liked about the film was the way they incorporated all of the news the, the newscast that was very, very important and very prominent in the original comic series. They didn't do it as much as the actual comic series did, but I think they did a really good job of incorporating the news and making the news a very important aspect of the story. I also thought it was kind of cool to see some of the events that happened in The Dark Knight Rises happen in this film. And when I say that, I mean... There was throwbacks that The Dark Knight Rises did to The Dark Knight Returns. They weren't, you know, spot on, dead on, here's this, here's that. And to see it in animated form, it even throws it out even more. So I'm specifically talking about the scene where the police are chasing the robbers and all of a sudden Batman appears in the sky for the first time and the older cop says to the younger cop, oh, you're in for a show tonight. I mean, that not only was in the original comic series, but there was also in The Dark Knight Rises. It was cool to see, you know, the the connections between some of the things that happened in The Dark Knight Rises and The Dark Knight Returns, even though this was an animated form. The other one of those I noticed was the arm brace that Bruce Wayne is wearing. 
when he returns back to the cave with Terry Kelly, I, in watching The Dark Knight Rises, did not realize that leg brace that he was wearing came from came from um, this comic specifically in this this storyline. I agree. The talking heads are such an important part of this story. It was I was concerned that this movie was going to be told through entirely talking heads. And I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about that because this is, you know, primarily, of course, a Batman story. But they did a very good job of, A, making them true to their appearance in the comics, which I thought was a nice touch, and B, integrating them, letting them tell the parts of the story they needed to without making them overbearing within the story. Yeah, I think they did a very good job of converting what is a quite choppy graphic novel into a coherent storyline if they'd gone frame for frame i think people would have failed to really follow it and understand it and and the way that they told it was a really it was a good flowing narrative and i think they did a good job of of picking and choosing the right bits of frank miller's script and and his lines and, and balanced it right between getting the good bits and avoiding his really bizarre right-wing messages that he inserts into the comics and keeping it flowing and staying true enough not to irritate fans. Alright, so then let's talk about some of the the not-so-great things about the film. The only real major complaint I had was I wasn't a huge fan of everything that they portrayed as far as the Arkham Asylum bits. I know some of it was taken straight from the comics, but I thought that the Arkham Asylum bits and the Dr. Bartholomew Walper, I thought some of that, I think, could have been, you know, taken down a little bit of a notch or changed a little bit better. Some of that has to do with more of Frank Miller's original take on the film. For the most part, I think that was one of the really the only things that I wasn't a big fan of. I like Dr. Wolper because in this day and age, a lot of times it's you know, very much taking all blame away from from the guilty parties, but that that's a different discussion for a different time. One of the things I didn't like is there were a few shots in the movie. Did it? Does anybody remember the Family Guy episode where Lois is in an independent film and a clown sits there and licks her face? And you just think, why am I watching this particular shot? There were a few shots in there like that where, were this a film film, I would kind of be wondering, well, who is the director of cinematography? Why did you choose to show me that? That looks like a 17-year-old girl trying to be deep. The, the other problem I had was with uh, the arc itself. Some of it was, was really good, and then other bits I just didn't feel like it was the gritty Gotham that's descended into, yeah, is descending into chaos without Batman and the reason that he comes back. I just, uh, some some of the shots I just didn't believe that that was what it was. They looked, it looked very clean and very neat and very nice and very tidy and then you kind of go well that's meant to be a really you know downtown area of Gotham it just doesn't feel like that and again it it distanced me from the film because I was going well wow this is an area of poverty but they have excellent street cleaners the thing is I didn't hate the movie I just didn't really care about it and the the voice acting and the, the artist are the two reasons that I I didn't enjoy it. I spent most of, most of the time being distanced from the film and kind of going, 
Why are they doing that? Why are they saying that? Well, that doesn't make sense. Why is she talking like she's 34? Why isn't he... Yeah, there's some of the things, like, for example, where Bruce has that m- moment of revelation and there's that conversation in his head between him and and Batman. And, and Batman, obviously, we know, has always been the real the real person and, and Bruce Wayne is a mask and during those scenes he didn't sound like he was having a conversation between two different opposing things well just sounded like he was not bored but he just wasn't putting any effort in and I, I just thought well that's just ruined that that could have been a really powerful scene and it just doesn't doesn't work and I, I, I you know I'm not really caring that Batman's coming back I don't feel like you've given me a good enough reason for him to come back which is what Frank Miller does in the comic he gives him a good reason and I mean maybe it's because you can read it in in your head and you can you know put your own voices to it as well the artwork looks like a, a Gotham that is descending into into those chaos without him and and he has to come back and and you you know you do the little cheer and then when he came back I was just like no oh, nah I don't really care and uh, the music as well actually just didn't stir me we got this weird synth 1980s aha pop music to go along and that again was really distracting for example where the police officers and Batman chased the criminals into the into the building, we get this weird kind of synthy pop thing that's meant to create tension, but I just thought, I feel like I'm living in the 1980s, and, and you know, I, I don't feel like this is creating tension at all. It's just starting to become quite irritating. I'm not expecting full orchestral choirs and you know, massive music directed by Hans Zimmer and things like that, but just try and and create a a bit more drama because then that engages people with the story and it engages me with the story. And that's what some of the other films like Mask of the Phantasm did so well was it linked the music with the scenes and it carried and it helped carry you along and it wasn't just 80s synth pop, which makes me want to scratch my ears out and that's it now i'm done i'm finished ranting i in defense i thought the music was pretty good i don't know that everyone thought that because ultimately there's been absolutely no news in relation to whether or not there will be a soundtrack that's released or not but i mean when it when it's all said and done overall i thought the movie was good it had its small flaws but for the most part i thought it was really good the the idea is, you know, we see at the very end of the film, we see the hint of the Joker. So if you've never actually read the comic, you see you can see that the Joker is going to be a, a prominent part in the next part of the film. Michael Emerson cast as the as the Joker, I think, is a cool idea. One of the other things that's interesting is if you watch some of the special features of the film, um, it was also revealed that Mark Valley is going to be voicing Superman. Now, Mark Valley, for those who don't know, was on a TV show in America called Human Target, which was based off the original Human Target DC comic series. It didn't last more than two seasons, but I really enjoyed the show. 
second season was much better than the first season, but didn't have enough viewers to maintain another season. But nonetheless, I think Mark Valley is a really good actor, and I watching the special features and hearing his voice as he's doing it for Superman, I think he's going to make a really good Superman that I don't think a lot of people would have ever expected. So I look forward to that. I can recognize him by face, but not not by name. I wouldn't have known who he was. I think that with this movie, I don't know if it was just because I had my hopes so low, but to me it was there was more about it that I liked than I didn't like. And that I, I'll put it in the win column because I did. I enjoyed watching the movie. It engaged me through the whole thing. And this was coming from a comic that I honestly didn't like that much. So I think that if they're able to to take a comic I don't like and turn it into a movie I do, they've done a good job. They've done their job. I wouldn't say this is a terrible film. It's not brilliant. It's got a lot of flaws. It's certainly not as bad as some of the stuff Batman, Superman, Public Enemy year one comes to mind but <laughs> I, I just felt there was so much that distanced me that it, it I, I wouldn't have picked it up on DVD if I'd known what it was going to be like to be honest might have rented it but it's not one to buy in my opinion alright so that's our discussion let's hear how you feel about Batman the Dark Knight Returns Part 1 leave your comments on the website under this episode, episode 80, under the Batman Universe podcast, and we'll talk about some of those on the next episode. You can also email your comments to podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net with any of your comments about the actual film. I know there's lots of people who liked it, there's some people who didn't like it, so we'd love to hear your ideas of, of about the film, and we'll share those on the next episode. So that's pretty much everything for this episode. I want to remind everybody to check out the website for all the latest movie, TV, merchandise, video game, general, and, of course, the comic news. The news is updated daily for all of the changes within the Batman universe. Make sure you check out all of our other podcasts that we have to offer, including the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, which recently hit 100 episodes last month, and we've actually changed the format around, so if you are new to comics... You might enjoy this new format that we're doing on the comic podcast. It's more of a discussion instead of a generic review. So you can check that out. You can also check out our commentaries. We'll be releasing some of the commentaries from some of the previous films as well as The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 in the next couple months. Villain Wall will actually be making its return very shortly here. And we also have some specials that we'll be posting up in the next couple months as well. So lots of things happening within the Batman Universe. Also, be sure to check out the Batman Universe Bat Fans podcast, which d- dives into more of a fanboy's perspective of the Batman Universe. So that is everything. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman Universe. You can leave us reviews on iTunes. And you can email us at podcast at net. That's everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Melinda. And this is John. You've been listening to the Batman Universe Podcast. We'll see you guys next month. Happy Canadian Thanksgiving. If you've been angered by any of my comments, remember to complain about Joe. I'm called Joe. <laughs>